Hello and welcome to episode 38 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in modern. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. What's up, Stan? I'm here with my trusty three-blade setup. Me and Stoneforge Mystic, we're coming at you, ninja style. Also with us here in Chicago, the Godfather, Dave Harburger. I don't know which one to get ever. <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about that another time. I always start with Fire Ice unless I'm playing against Burn, then I get Batter Skull. These are things you learn by listening to the dive down. I don't think that's a good heuristic audience, okay. but we'll discuss okay. that later. Well, fine. Last but not least, it's the Warden, Zach Callhan. Let it be known my legal name is now Zach Abraid Callhan, and I'm getting it tatted across <laughs> my forehead to go with my back tat. I know it's a commitment, and I don't want to hear about it. On this week's episode, we're doing something a little different. Instead of diving into a specific deck or card, we're taking a minute to survey the landscape of modern in the wake of the enormous news last week. We're going to start by taking a look at SCG Dallas and some of the MTGO results over the weekend to see how the bans are impacting high-level competitive play. Then we'll analyze the community's reaction to last week's format changes, Looking at everything from Twitter activity, streamer reactions, articles we've seen online, basically anything people are saying since last week's BNR. From there, we'll talk about what we've seen and played ourselves, including decks that have popped up in MTGO leagues and at our local game stores. And then to top it all off, we speculate about what the future holds for our favorite formats meta and what we would like to see happen. You mean you mean modern, right? Our favorite format? Is that our favorite format? Is that your favorite format, Stan? You know I'm a Momir player at heart. I thought you were wearing a Penny Dreadful. Stan's still holding on for, for Tiny Leaders to make a real competitive <laughs> comeback. Listen, Glissa the Trader is a great Tiny Leader. I have the deck all sleeved up. Is this a backdoor pilot for Stan's Tiny Leaders podcast? Hey, look, when the Dive Down you know, media network expands, <laughs> we're going Tiny Leaders first. As always, we will wrap up the show with a listener question. But first, let's housekeep. Thanks to the newest patron, Ryan J, for joining the Dive Down Nation. Glad to have you along. Also, thanks to Brian M for upping their tier. And a couple shout-outs to CT9999 and Debaum 1.0 for very nice reviews on Apple. We really appreciate the feedback. Also, we met some awesome folks this weekend in tournaments, including members of the Dive Down Nation. I want to send a special shout-out to Alec, Danny, and Jack. Uh, I got to meet all of these folks, friends of the show. Alec is a patron at the SCG IQ in Buffalo Grove. Really cool to meet uh, people who've been listening to me talk on the internet. Absolutely. I want to give a shout out to Samantha, who was in town in Chicago for a vacation and stopped by the Dice Dojo, where I play Magic frequently. So got to see her there, gave her a shot of Malort, which was taken with much chagrin on her part. But <laughs> it's a tradition here, and I don't know why, but it certainly is. But it was a good time. It's fun to interact with people who hear what we say and presumably enjoy what we say. So yeah, it was really fun meeting these people over the weekend. So just a reminder, if you are a, a listener and you're in Chicago or you think you're going to be at an event that we're at, just send us a note on Twitter because we'd love to meet people, talk to people, uh, anybody who has a chance to um, be around where they think we're going to be around. We're totally up for it. Yeah, and I think I'm going to make it to Indianapolis on Sunday for <gasps> the MCQ, the modern MCQ happening Sunday morning. Nice, get it. Waiting for some things to line up to confirm, but it's looking as if I will make it to the Hoosier State. It'd be really cool if there was any IQ within like 
400 miles of me. That'd be cool. You'll get what you'll get and you'll like it. All right, with all that out of the way, let's jump over to Zach at the news desk with this week's breakdown. So we have many events to talk about in this breakdown, more than we do typically, and we're going to go a little deeper than we do typically as well, as we are looking at a post-looting meta. So we're, Well, post-looting plus mystic. Well, come on, I was going to bring it up later. So we have the SDG Open in Dallas. We have the SDG Modern Classic in Dallas. And then we have the MTGO Modern MCQ. And the challenge. Do, do we? <laughs> Yeah, we have the challenge and the MCQ and the SCG Open and the SCG Classic. We got four events, folks. All right, let's do this. Let's hop right in. We're going to start with SCG Open that happened at Dallas. So their day two of this event had 141 players per Nick Miller. And these are all the decks on day two that had more than five copies each. So we had Burn with 21 copies. So holy smokes, that is a whole lot of Burn. I'm totally what I was expecting. Yeah, it makes, oh. I think it makes perfect sense. Oh, I'm the idiot here. Okay. I mean, it makes good <laughs> sense, but it wasn't what I was expecting. Um, next, we had Wurza coming in at 17 copies, so also quite a bit. Mono Green Tron at 15. Oh, my goodness. A lot of these decks. But these are perennial decks, right? And we'll get into this later, but these are decks that are just good, right? Next, we have Titan Shift, maybe an unexpected um, hmm, pretender to the throne, perhaps, with 10 copies. Jund with 8. Humans with seven, and then finally Blue Eye Control with six. Yeah, so Burn with 21 is kind of wild. I mean, this is the kind of thing where, you know, everyone posts on the internet and they're like, yeah, Dallas is totally a Burn meta. But like, I've heard the same thing about like <laughs> New England, uh, you know, New York area, you know, West Coast. Everyone thinks they're in the Burn area. Um, I think what we can see here is is Burn was definitely well positioned. I really wish we had day one information so we could say like, you know, how many people brought Stoneforge to the table and, you know, didn't really have a high conversion rate here, potentially. Yeah, I mean, there were less than five Stoneforge decks, although I remember that I think that there were around 10 if you combined a couple of them together into a single group between Blue-White and um, and the Selesnia Eldrazi one. I think there was uh, six and four, maybe, or maybe it was Bant. So I think I think there was a group that came in at around 10 if you, if you put them together. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think Burn was a great choice for this weekend. It's a very aggressive, proactive deck, can win fairly quickly, and in an unknown meta where there's no clear best deck that you're trying to attack, going in with a solid plan A seems like a great thing to do on week one after everything blew up. I think we'll definitely want to revisit this later, but I think it honestly is more than just kind of like the sort of standard week one, like bringing the mono red deck. I think that Burn was well-positioned in more than just being you know, turn four, turn five-ish, and people maybe dirtling a little bit too much. I think that it was uniquely positioned to handle a few of the decks we saw at the, at the tables this weekend. Did, but did you all watch ahead. any of this tournament? I was I was out of town, so. Yeah, I got to watch a little bit of uh, the finals, mostly like semi-quarter and finals. Uh, I got to watch some of the Swiss, and it was pretty awesome to just see the random stuff coming up and actually seeing a lot of kind of well-known players kind of ending up at the top of the Swiss playing against each other. I mean, this this top eight was stacked with names that are familiar to anybody who has watched SCG. And I think that the top, you know, 32 was really even pretty stacked with people that are, are names that most people would recognize from, from one place or another. Yeah, let's talk about that uh, top eight, Zach. Yeah, absolutely. In first place, we have four-color Wurza with Harlan Fuhrer. So this deck is four colors 
only sort of loosely in the sense that there's a green splash, but the only green card in the 75 is Assassin's Trophy, which I think is a perfectly good splash, but it's mostly Grixis. But Grixis worth it, took it down. Yeah, deck's good. We keep saying it's good. It's going to keep showing up. And Harlan's been playing this deck for weeks, months even, I think, basically throughout all of Hogak, really honing his skill as a pilot for the strategy and really demonstrated what his commitment to the deck can accomplish. Yeah, this is a deck that takes a lot of, like we've said in this podcast, a lot of meta knowledge and a lot of decision trees that require right choices in constant sequence. So, hard deck to play. Congratulations. Moving on in second, we have Burn, piloted by Dylan Donegan. And this is the first in a series of what I'm calling Playset Burn, as all of the spell's main deck are playsets. So, I love this. I love the consistency of this. I love all those four straight down. I am what you would call a pretty big fan. (laughs) No, Burn's killer. I mean... I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, Playset Burn is killer, if you wouldn't mind. Playset Burn is killer. I mean, I was recently... I ran Burn through three leagues uh, while, while Hogak was still legal. And this was very similar to the list I ran. I think this is... It's, it's great. It's fast. It's to the point. It gets the job done. Um, and uh, like Stan mentioned earlier, I think you know when you're faced with an unknown, it never hurts to plan on killing people on turn four. The other really interesting thing to me about this deck is that it was piloted by two other players that I think are on the same team as Dylan. Team right? Lotus In, Box. Yeah, yeah, they're Lotus Box. Zan Syed yeah. and Collins Mullen. Collins Mullen of the Grindcast podcast. Uh, shout out there. The The thing that's really interesting to me, I guess, is that they also had five Horizon Lands in, mm-hmm. in their builds, which is kind of a lot. Um, but they must have decided that that's the best way for them to increase velocity through the, through the deck for when they're starting to run out of gas a little bit. Yeah, and right now with things supposedly slowing down a bit, um, I think that it's smart to up your painful mana base that allows you to draw into more cards because you're not going to be facing down quite as much aggression on the other side, probably. Maybe. We'll see about that ultimately, but it certainly turned out this way in this tournament. Moving on to third place, we have friend of the show Ross Miriam on Titan Shift. Hey, nice work, Ross. Yeah, this list was pretty interesting to me. It had three one of four drops. So it had a single Acid Moss, a single Chandra Torture Defiance, and then a single Obstinate Bailoth. All main. I think we're going to talk about Titan Shift a little bit more throughout this episode, but I was kind of left with the position after playing and watching Magic this weekend that Titan Shift was kind of like a breakout deck where I don't know if I was expecting it to be as successful and well-positioned as it was going into our unknown meta, and it seemed to put up a lot of great results all over the place. Yeah, I mean, I think it was interesting that there were 10 of this deck. And one thing to keep in mind is that this is sort of like one of the prevalent decks in standard right now, uh, Scape Shift using Field of the Dead. And so seeing some of that technology ported into modern as an alternate win con for for this deck, I think makes a huge amount of sense. Because if you get outrun on burn, you still have a way to win uh, by making a bunch of zombies and just killing somebody with them, which I think is cool. Yeah, diversifying your win cons is always cool. Yeah, I mean, good good job on uh, for to Ross for anticipating that this was a good option this weekend. I think that in a in a universe where burn is good, there's a good chance that Titan Shift is good because. You know, uh, the threats are just bigger. It's hard for Burn to interact. He has an obstinate Bayloth main. He has two more in the sideboard. So, I mean, there's just a lot of kind of technology there to help this deck outrun Burn. So, yeah, it's smart of Ross. I think in a vacuum, a typical build of Titan Shift will likely lose to Burn. But I think that building it in this fashion, like you said, with the obstinate Bayloth main and other, you know, other tech choices you can do, I think you can sort of tune Titan Shift against a Burn meta. And I think it's likely why Ross 
perform so well along with his just skill as a player. Absolutely. And then next in fifth place, we have Grixis Death Shadow, piloted by Russell Lee. So this list was a little interesting with a single uh, flip chase and a single lightning bolt. One lightning bolt is very bizarre to me. I think that's all you need. I'm not even sure lightning bolt is all that great right now. I mean, Lightning Bolt's sort of in there for a little bit of removal, but also a little bit of reach out of Death Shadow, right? Sure. Like, that's that's the main mm-hmm. idea. And I, w- the thing that's really interesting to me about this is that all of the people that I see who, you know, who are out there on social media talking about Grixis or talking about Death Shadow have all switched back to Grixis, like, at the drop of a hat. Like, once the Band and Restricted announcement happened on Monday, they all changed back from whatever mardu builds they were doing to this one and so it's i'll be interested to see how that works out for everybody and and kind of why well dave can i interest you in a one mana hard counter that addresses the most powerful spells in the format right now yes (laughs) i mean many of them i mean i I think it is a little bit odd to me right because it's a mardu death shadow does accomplish a lot of things in a potentially grindier meta so if you're expecting a lot of Jund, if you're expecting a lot of Stoneforge Mystic decks, if you're expecting to have to grind a little bit and also want you know really good removal against threats like Amulet, you know like Titan, against threats that you know like opposing Gurmag Anglers that Path needs to hit, you're likely going to want access to that. So I'm a little bit surprised as well that you know GDS is immediately what people are switching back to, but. You know, like you said, Stan, if Stubborn Denial is good, then Grixis Death Shadow is good. Moving on, we'll do fifth and sixth together, as they are both burn decks, as Dave alluded to earlier. In fifth, we have Zan Saeed, and then in sixth, we have Collins Mullen. And these are also, once again, play, set, burn. <laughs> I'm a little bit surprised to see Zan and Dylan bring burn to the table. I mean, I think they correctly identified that it was a great deck for the weekend, but they were both were super hyped. Also, I think it's a little bit because it's so new, but they were super hyped to be playing the uh, Selesnya Eldrazi Stoneforge deck on stream this week. They were very into the power level. They very much liked what it was doing, and they 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 were immediately sort of tweaking it, you know, live on stream. Like this is what we think we would do with it after this. But you know, in the end, you want to bring the deck you think is going to perform the best. But I don't think that. That means that the Selesnya Eldrazi deck isn't very good. I think that maybe they just thought it wasn't the best choice. Well, I mean, the Selesnya Eldrazi deck took Allie Warfield to her around 20th place, and she mm-hmm. was. She, know, had she, had a, she had a win and in for eighth, uh, for a top eight. So, I mean, it's clearly got some game to it, too. For sure. And that was kind of untuned. I think she was just running the Ryan Overturf's kind of list uh, stock before even tuning it a little bit. So I think that it definitely has some some tweaks to be even better. Yeah, for what's worth, burn probably pretty good right now. Play set burn, maybe the best burn. <laughs> Moving on to seventh place, we have Rakdos Midrange, quote unquote, by John Lim. So to me, this really seemed like a Mardu Pyromancer build that decided to see how it could cut white and go more and on the <laughs> black red midrange plan. Looked very cool to me. Chandra Acolyte, the three new three drop, makes an appearance here. Three main deck Blood Moon. Mm-hmm. This this sort of reminds me of Ratman, right? But with just like a different suite of threats. What if Ratman, but better? I mean, Marta used to run used to run Blood Moon main sometimes too. Yeah, yeah. it would have like it would have like two to f- two to three at least. I think Blood Moon is currently well positioned with the shifting of the meta. Um, we talked about how we, we'll talk about this later. Definitely, absolutely. 
But Titan Shift, as we saw in third place, is a deck that Blood Moon punishes deeply and greatly. They do have the green force to get out of it now. It's not as hard as a lock as it once was. But I think Blood Moon is back, baby. Yeah. Strategic question I want to ask you all. I was watching a little bit while I was on the road this weekend, but I got to watch a little bit on my phone. I saw the the Rakdos midrange player play against Burn, and that player, I believe, either left in Blood Moon and played it against Burn. And I'm curious if you think that that is worth doing kind of broadly. Like, would you take it out? Would you leave it in? Zach, I'm dying to hear your thoughts because I think you are a more prolific Blood Moon player. Although I I think next to you, I'm, I'm the most loving of Blood Moon among the four of us. <laughs> and I think that's like a, a real tension point for people yeah. who play Blood Moon. Like, what do you do against Burn? Um, if I see both Helix and Boros Charm, I will leave some number of them in. Uh, Boros Charm is a four damage spell that is very hard to play around. And you can put yourself in positions, especially with Leyland Combustion, where two spells can get them or you can get them. But Boros Charm is a little rough with that one. And similarly, if I see uh, more than a couple copies of the New Horizon lands, the red-white one and the blue-red one, I'll leave it in as well. So I might shave some, sure, especially if I'm on the draw instead of the play. I'll take it out then. But I think they are good, and I would, wouldn't go down to fewer than two. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just worth noting quickly that these particular new builds, these playset burn uh, builds, have less than a playset of basic mountains in them. So mm. they have 20 lands, and only three of them are basics. Right. So there's a whole bunch of things that you can take people off of as far as white sources go and drawing, like like Zach is saying, that I, I think it's probably worth it at this point. But um, you know, I haven't tried it enough myself to know. Yeah, I think something like if you have a Dragon's Claw and you need to fit it in, it might be right to shave a single Blood Moon for that or something like that. I would not cut them entirely. But if you think your opponent is just on Helix and not Charm, maybe cuttable then. But that's really a call on what you're bringing in as well. I I would not cut it if you didn't have a better card to bring in is sort of where I'm going to end that. Yeah, I will say I think this is one of the most interesting deck lists that we saw this weekend just because it's it's very kind of it reminds me a little bit of the Dreadhorde Arcanist decks that we were trying to play around the time that we went to Grand Prix Denver. Mm -hmm. It reminds me a little bit of Mardu Pyromancer, like Zach was saying as well. It's got some really powerful cards and like, you know, if Path to Exile is a little bit less popular this weekend, you know, Hazard is pretty amazing mm -hmm. to play. And so <clears throat> there's a bunch of of interesting things going on with this deck. Absolutely. Before you move on to 8th, I've actually added a Hazret to my Mono Red Prison sideboard. Mm. Wow. All hail the god Hazret. Dog Mom is here to stay. So in 8th place, we have Mono Green Tron by Sam Birkenbile. So this list is not your stock Tron list. This isn't your daddy's Tron. This isn't your cousin's Tron. This is Tron from the future? We're talking 2 Thragtust main. We're talking 8 Karn, 4 Great Creator, 4 Liberated, and a Wishboard. Yeah, I mean, this is basically a tweaked version of kind of the, the immediate post-Karn the Great Creator Tron list, right? So, you know, you shave an Ulawong the Ceaseless Hunger, you shave a Ballista down or a Worm Coil down, and you try to lower your curve and increase your life gain with Thrag Tusk. I think that's a smart move when you're anticipating a bunch of burn um, or anticipating some Batter Skulls, perhaps. But besides that, I mean, I think it's smart. It's one of those things where it's, you know, it pops up. You say, oh, Mono Green Tron is off Karn the Great Creator. They're off the wishboard. And then all of a sudden, you know, someone brings this and gets eighth place in an open with it. So it really is in a slower format. Karn the Great Creator probably increases power level in Mono Green Tron. 
This deck has a couple sideboard pieces that I think are super interesting, including a couple Veil of Summer and a single Weather the Storm. Oh, Veil of Summer. Veil of Summer is here to stay. It is a hot, 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 hot card, especially in Mono Green Tron. It's so easy to cast. It's so powerful. I got blown out so hard playing Tron the other night with a Veil of Summer. I did not see it coming at all. I think that I I cryptic commanded somebody to like counter a spell and bounce a problematic permanent of some kind, and it just was like, boom, lost me the game immediately. This is a card that I personally have not seen, but twice at my LGS on Sunday, I looked over and someone went, what does that do? Can I read that again? I'm like, oh, that's, that's Veil of Summer. Okay. <laughs> it is broken. And no joke. I saw it blow out someone's cryptic command, or they went, wait, what? No, and they went, we can call a judge. And it's just like, oh, that's not that's not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, this is the kind of perfect, you know, more or less, perfect kind of card that Wizards can design, right? Where it, it you can't just run it main to provide a ton of power. It's a sideboard, you know, multi-color hoser. It's, they can't print this at rare, so it's never going to be super expensive. It's my kind of card. So I have a rules question. Veil of Summer, single green, instant. Draw a card if an opponent has cast a blue or black spell this turn. Spells you control can't be countered this turn. You and permanents you control gain hexproof, hexproof from blue and from black until end of turn. Does that mean Veil of Summer can't be countered? No, it does not have split second. Yeah, but I mean, in the case that I was in, you know, this was turn four, and I was cryptic commanding somebody who had who had eight mana up and had used you know, was casting Karn or something like that. And then they veil a summer in me when I tried to cryptic command it. And it was just like, oh, I'm dead now. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Brutal. Right. So basically the veil of summer effect doesn't really occur until the spell resolves. Right. Long story short. Exactly. Yeah. Unless they have two veil of summer. In that case, summer in the city, <laughs> <Please>. folks. <laughs> hey, so I have a note about this top eight. Where are the Stoneforge mystics? Oh, <gasps> There's none in this top eight. The first major tournament after, oh. there was none in the top eight. Dave, I don't know about you, but they're shut impossible up, to up. purchase. They're all sold out. Where are we supposed oh, to yeah. get them? Yeah. You're not cracking I don't packs. Think, I don't think people on the on the on at the tournament had trouble getting their Stoneforge Mystics. No. But they, anyway. they all had them in their binders. Yeah. But I mean, uh, they were there were some decks right outside the top eight that just got out of there on breakers. Like ninth place, you know, was a, a cool Orzov smallpox deck. With Bloodgast, Stoneforge Mystic, Gideon, Ally of Zendikar, Main, Liliana the Veil, Main. It, I mean, that's a pretty cool one, and that's right. And that's not one that's even like kind of a popular like. Oh, here's an obvious place for Stoneforge, right? Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. doing work in this pretty cool brewish deck. I mean, that's all she has to do. You just cast her and then let her hang out. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I always my dad always told me that ninth place was the eighth loser. So I, I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> but then right outside that too in 10th place was a blue white control deck running stone forge package so i mean she was hanging out right outside the top eight letting people think that they're safe from stone forge and her weapony friends we'll cruise this top eight and go with any hot takes we have along the way so it's worth noting that the modern classic is a side event that happens while the open is the big event so that's why we went over that one first. That was the one that had a day two and was a big overall tournament. This was a side event you could play at SCG Dallas. Yeah, it's usually six rounds and then a cut to top eight in the same day. Exactly. So in first place, we have Dredge. <laughs> this 
this is my favorite result of the whole weekend because it's just like it's 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 two things. One, it's hey, I'm Dredge, I'm still here, I'm still viable. And two, it gives all of the Dredge like faithful something to cling on to. Because Come ev- on. because ev- <laughs> no, everyone is everyone is very hardcore testing Dredge. You know, I saw it all this week on streams. I heard about it in the Slack that someone was like, yeah, I just faced down two dredge decks back to back because people are not willing to give up. And then if you see dredge take first place at a classic, you're like, why do I have to? I can just run four tome scour. But Sodak, like the the flag bearer of dredge also has not given up and he's been very active. Well, he has to. Why does he have to? He he can switch. Well, I mean, this this is this is not a blast on Sodak by any means, but like this is how he's made his name, you know, by being a dredge player. Like he he has to stick it out for a little while at least and test some stuff. This captain goes down with the ship. The main thing I feel bad about with this was that uh, it's Tome Scour, a card that I made fun of. Yep, you made fun of. Well, I didn't really make fun of Tome Scour though, did I? Oh come on. I'm- no, you made fun of me. You made fun of me for not knowing Tome Scour. <laughs> I made fun of you for trying to pick a card oh that was God. worse than Tome Scour to put into as a believe, as a believe, as a believe. Yeah. Can I add my name to the list of players who lost to Dredge this weekend playing oh, on Magic shame. Online? Put my name on it too. I got crushed. Oh, you fools! <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> in second place, we have Eldrazi Tron. Do you think this is because of no? So in second place, yes. we have Eldrazi Tron with Riley Vogel. So this is very similar to the list we played. Um, this one had two Mystic Forge main. Yeah, if, you, if you're expecting a slower format, why not take advantage of the grind that Mystic Forge allows? Absolutely. And I'll go ahead and read Mystic Forge real quick as it's a new card. People might, might not be so familiar with it. So a four-mana artifact, you may look at the top card of your library at any time. You may cast the top card of your library if it's an artifact card or a colorless non-land card. And then that last ability, tap, pay a life. Exile the top card of your library. So there are some situations where you can just keep casting cards from the top. And especially if you have Ugin the Ineffable out and cards can be cast for zero sometimes and you can chain a little bit, it can get real nasty real quick. Next, we have another another list of Playset Burn by Drew Iafrate. So is Playset Burn just stock burn now? I mean, more or less. Yeah. The, the amount of the amount of the amount of main deck like tech selection is like two cards. Right. And the whole thing is playset burn, as I have neatly coined, is just basically moving skull cracks to the side mm-hmm. and having all on lightning helix. In fourth place, we have Jund, Cameron Gas, and two of Huntmaster and his howling return. Again, everyone seems just to be either taking advantage of just testing a little bit, you know, less speed. With like stuff like Huntmaster instead of Bloodbraid, like Huntmaster takes maybe a little bit longer to sort of generate even more value than the immediate value Bloodbraid provides, and also a couple tireless trackers main. So this doesn't this doesn't necessarily mean that the metagame is slower and people are able to take advantages of it. But Cameron Gas was able to take fourth with a slightly grindier looking version of Jund. In fifth, we have Titan Shift, piloted by Jacob White. And this one had two hour of promise main. And I think I'll read this card real quick too, because I had to look it up when I saw it to make sure I knew what it was. So hour of promise is four and a green sorcery. Search your library for up to two land cards, any land, not basic, put them onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. Then if you control three or more deserts, create two, two, two black zombie creature tokens. 
So this list didn't have any deserts. No way to take advantage of that. It's right. just five mana, get two lands in a play tapped. But it can get Valakut. Yeah, I think it's just an alt to to prime time, basically, just to make sure that you're definitely going to get Valakut out. Uh, I've seen lists with of Titan Shift with this in it before, but not in a little while and not all the time. I think it's sort of like an on-the-bubble card. Asset Boss is really showing up in a lot of these Titan Shift lists, and I don't remember it always being a main deck inclusion. Neither did I. I played against it in a league when I streamed recently, and I got blew out by it. And it was just like, oh, I'm probably good here. I'm going to, what is that? What? Oh, my goodness, no. And it led to a turn for Titan, as it often does. Yeah, I mean, Acid Moss, for those unfamiliar, two green, green, destroy target land, and you get to tutor up a forest uh, on your battlefield tapped. So it's just a little bit of land destruction, a little bit of ramp. Yeah, I I don't know if you remember that. Um, There was a player in the MC a little while back that was playing Acid Moss in their Scapeshift deck. Yes, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, they went. They went. Re- they did really, really well. Like they went deep in the day too. Yeah, and uh, he was playing Acid Moss, and so I, I wonder if there are people just being uh, inspired by that particular piece of tech from uh, four or five months ago. Absolutely. In sixth place, we have Jund with Alexander Bossman, maybe Bosman. This one has two Magus of the Mood in the side, which is a card that you might know is near and dear to my heart. That over Blood Moon's an interesting choice. I don't know what would lead one to do that. Maybe they want to get that extra damage. Maybe they don't care that's a little more vulnerable. Not quite sure. They also have three Collector Oof, which is a whole lot for a sideboard, or maybe it's not, and I am overestimating it. Not, not overestimating it. It's a good card. I know it's a good card, but three seems like a lot to me. I think that's someone anticipating a lot of Wurza. Sure. Is my, is my guess, yeah. And hopefully maybe on the play, you can slow down your Tron opponent, mm-hmm. like game two, after you lose game one. <laughs> <laughs> Jund with a Blood Moon effect is pretty wild. At least run Blood Moon in the side. So I think that's because Renin 6 makes fetching up all of your basics super easy. Oh, uh, okay. Is my, is my guess. I get blown out by whenever I play against a Blood Moon deck on Jund, as Zach could probably tell you. Mm-hmm. I, I watched it happen. I did it. Yeah, you did it to me, I think, five games in a row when we were playing the other night. Yeah. Moving on to seventh place, we have our first Stoneforge Mystic deck. We have Orzov Stoneblade, piloted by Jason Bryant. So what a list. It looks like a black-white mid-range featuring four Bob. And I know it probably didn't happen or didn't happen too often, but could you imagine flipping a batter skull to a Bob trigger and how bad that <laughs> must feel? Yeah, I mean, your odds there are somewhat worth it, but... I mean, I just got to say, y'all, um, you know how I got my Stoneforge Mystic? I sold my Dark Confidants and moved that money directly into Stoneforges. So it makes me very happy, very, very happy to see Dark Confidant showing up with Stoneforge Mystic just to spite me. Shane, I have zero sympathy for you. You will, <laughs> like, you like will sell your cards if like someone sneezes on them. No, you I've, you know I've been moving completely what? out of like my my black base mid range cards. I've sold everything for Jund. Well, then why are you upset? Well, I'm upset because I want to be able to play every deck ever, Zach. Hmm. <laughs> Manatraders.com. Maybe, maybe you all don't remember that I I made a Secret Santa gift for Shane for Christmas this year that had a, a word search for magic, and I had two phrases hidden in there one was iso bobs and the other one was bobs for sale <laughs> because i think he's bought much like snapcasters i think he's bought and sold bobs maybe two or three times isn't that hemingway yeah. bobs for sale yeah it's, 
brutal. It's about a really horrific injury. Never played. <laughs> they were just they were just my my least used cards that easily be sideways traded in the stone forge. I, listeners uh, of the nation, please learn from this moment. Don't be like Shane. Yeah, always always no. keep all of your cards and oh, spend all of your money instead. Always keep all of your that's, cards. I mean, that's what I do. <laughs> Trains for suckers. I don't even play paper. <laughs> no, let's let's. I mean, let's talk about this a little bit. So, I mean. Is it just primarily just a black-white mid-range deck? Is there anything kind of unique going on? Not a thing. I, I do like the idea of uh, slapping a sword and a lingering souls token, though. The curve is kept below everything is three or less, aside from the batter skull. I imagine four bob as well. But it's important to note that it's a mid-range deck with a really low curve. There's not really a top end here, aside from the batter skull, but you tutor that up. So my question about this deck is, what do y'all think Urberg Tomb of Yawgmoth does? Let's you cast your Lily out of the Veils and Kalidas's really easily. Yeah, it fixes your mana, and there's sort of not too big of a reason not to include it to a certain degree, because if you have two planes in that, you can cast Liliana that way. I, I wouldn't be surprised if... I mean, I think as we look around to see what the shells that Stoneforge Mystic is good in, you know, this we've seen it a couple of times now, people trying to do straight-up black-white Stoneblade, and I think there's a chance that this is a viable option. It's a pretty powerful looking deck. Low curve is nice. It's got a lot of hand disruption between. I guess the biggest surprise for me in this deck is the, the uh, reappearance of Tide Hollow Scholar as a four of. Again, which makes me wonder if this person might have been a little bit inspired by Mardu, uh, Mardu Death Shadow. So uh, I, I think that it's possible that this is a viable shell or w- viable to be one of the good shells for uh, Stoneforge, even though I don't think a lot of people were anticipating that it would be. Moving on, in 8th place, we have Burn by DJ McGee, and thus ends the dominance of Playset Burn. We knew you well. Rest in peace, sweet prince. They have two Helix, two Skullcrack mana as a split, instead of having Skullcrack in the side. It's functionally the same. So, thus ends our paper results for the weekend, our physical results, and moving on to online MGGO, we're going to start with the Modern MCQ. So the Modern MCQ actually had 409 players this weekend, which is a lot. So this was, you know, we know that typically um, modern Magic Online players are pretty decent, and there's a lot of them. So I think there's some good information we can glean from this. Absolutely. So in first place, this one was won by Titan Shift. This one was almost identical to the list Ross ran, including the four one ofs main, Chandra Torture Defines, Acid Moss, and Obstinate Bailoth. So wow, Titan Shift, pretty good, turns out. Yeah, I think one of the neat things about the stream decker plugin on Twitch is if you're watching a tournament happen, you can pull the deck list immediately. And I think sometimes you might see people just like run that same list that they saw on TV online like the next day, even in tournaments like this. So I'm not entirely surprised to see someone as impactful in magic as ross miriam influencing the next day's tournaments even absolutely online exactly that's why that's why online is so cool no one has to pivot into anything really you can you know get the cards a lot more quickly absolutely in second place we had a where's the deck this one was running the blade combo mm-hmm. sure was <laughs> i mean that's the beauty about stoneforge the opportunity cost is so low you can just stick it in any deck that can produce a single white mana and you're in business. See, I I think it's a good as time as any to talk about it, right? Because blue white control definitely has to make a lot of selections if they're going to run the Stoneforge package, right? Because it impacts their ability to maybe run some of their planeswalkers. Sure. It impacts some of their ability to you know run 
you know any number of cards, right? Because they have to put at least six cards into their main deck probably to run it. That's a tenth of their deck. Five five to six, sure. Yeah. So for instance, uh, McWinsauce, you know, who's uh, you know a, a popular player, a good player, a streamer, extremely well known blue white player. Yeah. So one of the things he mentioned this weekend, I saw he made a comment on Reddit because he piloted blue white control. Um, he said he said flat out Stoneforge and blue white is good but it changes a deck to have a more proactive plan, which is typically good, right? So you can get a lot of free wins by playing turn two, turn two Stormforge and protect it with Force of Negation. But if the opponent doesn't care about Batterskull or can protect themselves with something like a sword, he says the deck is worse than traditional blue-white, right? So it's really, there are consequences for making some changes in a deck like blue-white control, which typically you know has to pick its main 60 and its sideboard pretty well to gain the most edge in third place we have a just guy tempo deck with stoneforge mystic and this one features the return from the sideboard to the main board of guest saint draft mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh man i love this deck i don't even like just guy decks like this but i love this deck so here's my comment having played geist decks in the past it's so easy to kill a 2-2 yes. all right even if it has hexproof it's just it takes nothing to kill that two two, but once you give it a sword, we're in business. So that two card combo of just Geist with any sword, I am here for. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting. The deck that I've I was playing over the weekend was Bant Stoneforge, uh, but it's pretty similar to this deck where you get a couple of Restoration Angels, you get Spell Queller, um, you know Stoneforge Mystics in there still. All all of those felt really really powerful. T- to me and so it's cool to see a version that has also my favorite card which is lightning bolt mm-hmm. um uh, one one other thing is do y'all notice that teferi time raveler is 50 tickets on magic online now no i did not notice that it wow. is so brutal yeah. i mean current yeah current's like 30 or 40 right now it's it's surreal i feel like those these war walkers would be cheaper but i'm worried do you think this is a consequence, as a total side note, of people drafting on Arena instead of drafting on Magic Online? <gasps> Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Dang, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I mean, we're just opening fewer packs than MTGO, so this is what people happens. go open packs and drop the price of Karn because I didn't buy them when they were $10, and now I need to. Shane, it's called <laughs> Supply and Demand, and I wrote a blog about it. My hands, my hands are on my chin, just all ears, my friend. Moving on to fourth place, we have the aforementioned Mick Winsauce with a blue eye control featuring Stoneforge Mystic. So this list is real neat to me. It also has two spell snare main, which I think is a correct move definitely, but I think people are a little slow to adopt that. And I've had some people argue with me about fun, you know, debate me about whether they think that's main deckable or not. And I think it absolutely is. You can say my name, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> he said I'm, very, I'm looking at you. Yeah, very menacingly worded letters in the mail. <laughs> Dear sir, again, you get the evidence wrong. For my last email. Yeah. <laughs> there are so many good two drops right now that I just feel like you're totally right, Zach. It's, it's, it's worth having around if you're a control, uh, a counter-heavy kind of deck. Yeah, I agree. Not only does it get Stoneforge, it also gets Renin Six, and it gets a bunch of spells out of burn. So I think like... Spell Snare is almost doing the job that Chalice on One was doing a few months ago. Absolutely. In fifth place, we have a Dredge deck. And I'm looking at this, and I don't think they have replaced anything. Looting is just gone. No, they have Insulin Neonate. Oh, my apologies. So, yeah, they're running the Neonate 
uh, mini package instead of like the tome scour. What's interesting to me is the main deck ancient grudge, which is just kind of like I expect I'll see something to hit with it, mm-hmm. right? So why not? Because like the the incidental like value is just there by just milling it over, right? I mean, and more decks are running the Karn package and Chalice is a thing. And like there are ways and decks do have access to Graveyard Hate main, as we've talked about. So just having a card that where if you mill it, cool. And sometimes you get to flash it back. But if it just flips in the graveyard, not a big deal. So I do want to talk about a little bit more about Dredge while we're here is the more than just the card replacement, like what's replacing looting is the mana base is shifting in a somewhat dramatic way and they're replacing the replacement draws you get uh, with your flashbacked faithless looting with more forgotten caves so what forgotten cave is just a cycling land so you could cycle it away and you get a draw which in dredge's case of course is almost certainly going to be a dredge so almost all these decks are running two this one's running three forgotten caves to try to recoup that lost value as well yeah and on top of that i think life of the loam helps sort of fill that gap that you used to get by flashing back faithless looting because life of the loam will get you your forgotten caves back to your hand yeah you just go over and and over onward and upward down the drain and that's mana neutral to what flashing back looting was too because your life of the loam is two cycling a forgotten cave is one so same you're a mana parody there not necessarily the same power by any means but mana parody yeah the cycling lands are all ones that we agreed when we did our set review that these will probably find a home. These are inherently good cards, but it's interesting that maybe it's taking this shakeup for people to be a little more willing to test them or try them. I know that people in the prison community are trying them out in their decks as well, even just as a one or two of in place of a Zelfiran Void or a Muta Vault. That utility slot is now to cycling land. Moving on to sixth place, we have Jund, and what a neat Jund list this is. We have three Kolgon's Command main uh, and one Huntmaster of the Fell. Two season pyromancer as well. So hey, a lot of fun stuff going on here. This is so, this deck is so tuned to the meta. This deck, bro. The the pilot of this deck said there's going to be a bunch of Stoneforge Mystic and or Wurza, and I am prepared. I'm honestly surprised with the three Ren and Six still because I would not be surprised to see Ren and Six start being shaved a little bit what? because it it can't take out a Stoneforge Mystic. So so that's why you have three K command and two Assassin's Trophy. So. It also does essentially stone nothing against burn. It does essentially stone nothing against like most Stoneforge decks. So, well, it's getting your land drops to get to your three drops, right? Like, that's the whole thing. Exactly. Yeah, and then and then doing and doing what else? Sometimes pinging, sometimes alting. Everything else that Jun does, then you just Jun them out from there. I don't. Ren six is absurd. It's an absurd card. You know, I haven't heard anyone say this, Shane. I think it's an interesting point. We'll just have to see what happens. I mean, I I think that it's such a good two drop. I don't know if people will go lower than two, let's say. Yeah. It's just the new Bob. Like, that's that's my position. It doesn't do what Bob does, y'all. It does what Bob does, but better. Because with Bob, you want to hit land drops. You want to hit those land drops consistently and take zero damage. And this does that and pluses up to do it. And then it ults and you lose the game. But Bob flips any card over from your deck and you're just drawing it. Ren and Six draws a card. Ren and Six draws a land. Yeah, but this you'll never lose to Ren and Six. You'll lose to Bob sometimes. No, that's that's a secondary thing. No, that's ba- that's that's bad arguing. No, it's really good. No, I mean, hey, hey I, I don't think it's a bad card, but I do think pointing out that hey, there's a lot of X twos in the meta right now, whereas before there were a lot of X ones, and you were getting value off of off of Ren and Six's minus ability. I think it's something to keep an eye on, for sure. 
So we'll agree to disagree. I think this argument between Zach and Shane is some of the best podcasting we've ever done on the Dead <laughs> Down. You think so? <laughs> I really do. I mean, me and Shane got some big energy today. I love you, buddy. I, I, the other thing I'm super surprised about in this list actually is I, I'm not sure where John people are kind of shaking out on season pyromancer as a main card and especially at a two quantity. I mean, I've seen people have it in as like a spicy one of here and there because it's nice sometimes to get some card draw late in the game, but it didn't seem like it had totally found a home here yet. So I'm surprised to see it at two. I'm starting to get the sense that Season Pyromancer is just a three mana draw two, two, two that you're using to ditch excess lands or just casting when you have an empty hand because you're not getting as many cards out of your graveyard for value as you used to. Right. And I think it's kind of shifted its role as like an added faithless looting effect to kind of just a value card that draws you more cards and, you know, has a body to boot. Yeah, I agree. In seventh place, we have Versus the Shadow. This one featuring two Colgon's Command and two Lightning Bolt main. Yeah, it looks like it's shaving a stubborn denial for an extra Lightning Bolt. Yeah, it looks like Death Shadow. And it also looks like it's uh, got an 18th land. I, I usually see GDS with 17 lands. Hmm. So they, they had that second Blood Crypt. Sometimes you got a double crypt. <laughs> I don't know if that really means much of anything. Player preference, perhaps. But they're making space somewhere. In eighth place, we have another... Uh, where's a deck featuring Stoneforge Mystic? Interesting. So we were talking earlier, wonder, speculating about where all the Stoneforge Mystics were, and it turns out they're on Magic Online. Because what is it? Out of this eight decks here in the top eight of this particular tournament, I think five of them had were running playsets of Stoneforge Mystic. Right. There are two big questions of our age, right? Where have all the Cowboys gone? And where have all the Mystics gone? <laughs> and now we know the answer to the second one, at least. They are all rented through Mana Traders. So, a very interesting top eight we had there for the MCQ. Maybe a little more what we had expected or called than the SCG with, you know, what, three, four Stoneforge decks showing up. So, hey. So, hey, indeed. Moving on to the Modern Challenge. This one is some some of a unique monster on itself. So, in first place, we got Grace's Death Shadow. In second place, what is that? Is that a mirror? No, it's Grace's Death Shadow. So, two GDS decks taking this. What do you guys think about that? Remember what I just said about the MCQ's GDS deck running 18 lands? I do. Both of these run 17, so <laughs> I'm paying attention. <laughs> but no, yeah, let the record show. Well, one of the things I think is interesting about both these decks is it shows that Grixis Death Shadow is not anywhere near as solved as it used to be. Like when Grixis Death Shadow was at the height of its power, uh, it really ran like 58 of the same 60, you know, in my, in my memory at least. And these decks that we've seen in the results might have two Mishra's Bible, might have three, might have the full playset. You know, this one has no Jace Friends Prodigy. The next one has three Jace Friends Prodigy. It's really, you know, make your own little stew of Death Shadowness uh, based, based on what you think you're going to see or just how you like playing your deck. For AOB, bring your own bones for the stew. So I've been seeing some discussion online about the role of Mishra's Bobble versus Serum Visions. And some people saying that you can play more Serum Visions over Mishra's Bobble because turboing out that turn two Gurmog Angler isn't quite as important as it used to be since the format has sort of slowed down in general. It's interesting. But if the format slows down, don't you want to be a step ahead of it sometimes with like your 5-5 five, five Gurmag Angler? Yeah, but then you're starting to lose a little bit of selection that you get from Serum Visions. 
So sure. I, 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 yeah, I guess valid. the decision you're trying to make is how much you want to plan ahead versus how much you just want to go all in on like a big beefy fish on turn two. I mean, one of the advantages of the Gurmag Angler on turn two is it turns on your stubborn denials very quickly, which is an advantage that you get over something like your eventual casting of Death Shadow because to get your Death Shadow that big usually takes a few more turns of work. But if you do get that early Gurmag, then you know you enable your summoner denials, you're off to the races by protecting your creature or by stopping your opponent's strategy. And I think that does have a lot of value. Absolutely. I think it's more like stands at the cost trade-off where you can get a turn two Grimag Angler quote-unquote easy, but you do have to design your deck in a way and a play in a way to get that many cards in your graveyard. So it's easy to do, but it comes with a, a deck building restriction in a sense. But point is, Shadow looking kind of good right now. Can I even throw out that uh, I've sleeved up my own Grixis Shadow list and have been jamming it on MTGO a little bit, just trying to get some reps in, since it seems like a perfectly decent deck for me to take to the LGS, since uh, all my other decks ran Faithless Looting. Hey, you've, you've been waiting for a window opportunity to get some reps in and get some practice with it, so mm-hmm. get on that. In third place, we have a Jeskai Control-ish list featuring Stoneforge Mystic and two Grixis Traft main. This one also features two swords in the sideboard, a sort of feast and famine, and one of sinew and steel. I love sinew and steel. I think it's the better of the two swords printed in Modern Horizons, and I think the ability to destroy walkers and artifacts is pretty relevant right now. Great answer to Teferi Time Cop, which is such a problematic card in the format. I'm really into it. Yeah, real good versus Mono Red Prison, too. Ideally, you're not swinging, but if you do, I don't know how I beat this card. Yeah, this is an interesting shift from the third-place modern MCQ deck we saw, where, you know, that deck had a few more creatures. You know, it was it had Teferi Time Reveler main. This deck eschews any walkers main and sort of uh, runs more cryptic commands and main deck Force of Negation. I'm guessing the game plan here is being able to use Force of Negation to protect that turn two Stoneforge so that you're able to untap with it and get value immediately. But I'm not, these are not decks that I'm expert at. Yeah, I think you're onto something, Shane. And a lot of what I'm seeing right now in these results is that protect a queen strategies are just at an all time premium. Whether your queen is Stoneforge Mystic or Geist of St. Traft or Death Shadow, Gurmog Angler, etc. It seems like what you really want to do is land a nasty threat and then just back it up with Force of Negation and as much other counter magic as you've got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm surprised it doesn't have more, honestly. Moving on, in fourth place, we have a Titan Ship deck. And this one is running a single Anger of the Gods main. Never hurts to have one, right? No, I love that card. I think it's also just very good right now. Like all these decks we've mentioned that have Spellcaller and Geist, this neatly cleans up those creatures. Moving on into fifth, we have Sodek on Dredge. <laughs> never stop dredging Sodek. this is the tome scour build um he kind of has to manipulate his mana a little bit he's running two forgotten caves but he has to run a lot more uh rainbow lands so he's running city of brass and uh, gemstone mine as is typical but also steam vents because he wants to be able to make blue for his tome scours absolutely yeah i thought it was awesome to see city of brass come back into all these decks <laughs> I always wonder why that card doesn't see a little bit more modern play since it's hanging hanging around. But probably, I think Mana Confluence is printed more recently. Although at this point, that probably doesn't matter to a lot of players. Yeah. In sixth place, we have a Amulet Titan deck featuring three Karn Great Creator and the Wishboard. Stan, you I think keep your ear more to the ground on Amulet Titan comings and goings. What are 
the gen- what's the general sentiment about Karn the Great Creator in Amulet Titan? I think I've seen most of the players that I know run Amulet move away from Karn. Um, it's still a great payoff when you have a ton of mana as just like a way to deal with just about any deck or problematic situation, um, especially if they have answers to your Primeval Titans. But there was a shift after Hogak got banned where people went from the deck is really bad in the Hogak meta to now the deck is suddenly really good again. I think there's going to be a lot of evolution in the weeks to come with this deck and particularly assuming people, you know, keep tweaking it and innovating in the technology. Worth noting, this list is not running ensnaring bridge in the sideboards part of the package. That's obviously because Primeval Titan cannot win ideally through an ensnaring bridge. It is running a single worm coil engine though, so we're seeing that pop up more. But I thought no bridge is worth noting. And in seventh place, we have a just full-on blue-white control list running. I'm sorry, what is that? Is that four Stoneforge Mystic? Once again, here we are. Yeah, and so we keep mentioning Stoneforge. We're not doing a lot to talk about the sword package that these decks are running. And what I keep seeing in a lot of these lists is the main deck artifacts tend to be one batter skull and one sword. And it seems that more often than not, it's Sword of Feast and Famine. Right. which was a little surprising to me because I was playing Swords this weekend and I liked having um, Fire and Ice in my main deck and then kept a Sword of Light and Shadow in the side. I wasn't even writing yeah. Peace and Famine. Yeah, Light and Shadow seems extremely good in Modern, typically, to me. Yeah, absolutely. For Fatal Push and Path to Exile. Worth noting, this also running two spells near main. Mm-hmm. And then finally, in eighth place, we have what you could ostensibly call Ponza. I think this might be closer to the green-red monsters list of yore. <laughs> well, because the only real land destruction you're running, which is not an insignificant amount, but you're running Pillage, right? Four of Which is huge, but that also it, it's a dual use. You're not just using to blow up lands. So you have the Acceleration Package, which is the Utopia Sprawl and the Arbor Elf and the Birds of Paradise. But then you have Bloodbraid Elf, you have Glorybringer, Season Pyromancer, Stormbirth Dragon, Tireless Tracker. It really is similar to the Red Minrage package that you'd see in a deck like Scred, and just with green acceleration to it. So sometimes you can get a little Ponzi with Pillage and keep your opponent off mana if they stumble or you're quick enough. But this mostly just seems like ramp into big threats and deal with it or I win. Also, three Blood Moon main, because you do that now. I feel like if you're not looking at Stone Rain, you're not looking at Ponza, you know what I mean? So one of the things I really like about Pillage in a deck with Arbor Elf and Bird of Paradise is how busted it seems on turn two on the play. Oh yeah, it sucks to play against. I mean, how do you come back from that? Unless you have a land drop for every turn after that and they just draw nothing. I mean, that's what Ponza wants to do though. And this deck, as we described, is Ponza Light. But Ponza typically is having this ramp package and then doing a stone rain effect on turn two and going... Is this good enough to beat you? It sure seems like it. And then often blood mooding also. So they're destroying your basics and saying, here's this. And then I've seen lists as well with Karn the Great Creator, and they're bringing Trinispear out of the side. So all your spells cost three, but you don't even have three mana. You don't even have it. Yeah, I, I guess Force of Negation kind of helps. Sure. You know, if you have Force of Negation in your opening hand, you might be able to, de- to protect yourself from the Stone Rain effects. But even so, I, I'm just scared at the thought of having to play against something like this. Shout out to friend of the show, Odin, for being our Ponza aficionado on staff in an unpaid internship position. It's hoping one day to have the funding. All right, so that was a lot of decks. That was 24 decks we've kind of talked about loosely. Uh, four, four, four times eight is 32, my friend. 
Oh, it was four top eights. Wow, I thought it was only three. Gosh. So we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to remember how numbers work. And when we return, we're going to look back on what all these top eights might mean for the meta moving forward, as well as share our own reactions, hopes, dreams, and reflections on this modern weekend. Stay with us. All right, gentlemen, so we have looked at four top eights. Sure, there's some overlap between top eights, but I think it gives us a great snapshot of what the format is like today. I'm curious, what are all your initial thoughts? Is it cool? Uncool? Does anything seem particularly broken? So I'm I'm honestly almost like a little disappointed in the lack of like Stoneforge Mystic, Mystic just coming in and dominating. I mean, it's pretty rough to say that Stoneforge Mystic didn't dominate when I think that it was eight or nine of the the online decks so maybe you know somewhere between 20 percent and a quarter of the decks that we looked at just now were stoneforge mystic decks half of the top eight for the mcq was stoneforge mystic decks 33 percent of the mtgo deck dump as well not a big well that's that's a that's a different animal okay we can talk about that in a very different way one i'm talking birds i'm talking lizards it still doesn't mean Here's, here's a really funny thing is there are like six burn decks in that deck dump list, but imagine making a burn deck that's 10 currents different from the next burn deck. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just because there were, you know, 33% of the, the deck dump was Stoneforge Mystic decks doesn't mean it was 33% of every deck that 5 owed. So, but I mean, going back to the, the Stoneforge Mystic thing, I think I guess what I really mean is like new Stoneforge Mystic decks versus what feels like old decks with like Stoneforge Mystic sort of slotting in there, even though I know that's not the case. It's not an honest way to assess these newer decks. But what I think these all these results showed is how kind of a metagame can be predicted and addressed, especially at, at the Star City game event. So if people realize that Stoneforge Mystic decks can be attacked by things like Titan Shift, and then both of those decks can be attacked by things like Burn, bringing Burn to SCG Dallas made great sense. What I think, what I like is that it doesn't really seem like there's like a tier zero deck right away that was just waiting in the wings to come out. And we keep sort of hammering the drum and beating the drum of, of Wurza. And Wurza is definitely powerful, but it didn't just come and like take, you know, top four of the top eight of all these things. Yeah. Shade, I totally agree with you in the fact that I like this and feel hopeful by this. I didn't see anything that was, oh goodness, or I, I didn't come across a list or see some results that made me worried. I'm very happy with this. I don't feel like any of these decks are ridiculous so far. Obviously, I don't like Sword of Sinew and Steel, but that is a personal preference, <laughs> not a power level preference. So I'm happy. I mean, all these decks are perfectly mutable. They all have perfectly reasonable cyborg hate against them. Wurza, while good, does have ways to beat it. It's not like a perfect deck. And all these decks seem reasonable, cromulent. They take time and effort to learn and pilot. And I'm happy with this. If this is the shape of modern to come, Sign me up for four more years. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you you all too. I mean, there's definitely been a large change, right? And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about kind of like, uh, we'll do a Vox style art, uh, discussion with four losers and four winners of the new modern metagame or something like that a little bit lo- later in this discussion. But there's definitely been a change, but it does feel like it's a change for the better in the sense of sure. being uh, 
more fair decks, slower games somewhat, uh, despite what happened in the finals and, and maybe the quarterfinals of uh, Star City. But um, I, I could handle something where Burn is once again one of the underpinnings of the of the meta. Absolutely. I think it was really interesting what Shane touched on, wherein there was no clear tier zero deck ready in the wings to just take over all of the tournaments. And I feel like it's been a long time since we've been in a position like this where there was no clear best deck just kind of cleaning up. I mean, it was like before KCI, I think, was the last time we kind of felt like the meta was wide open. Um, and it made me realize, reflecting on this weekend, how much having a, a tier zero deck really informs everything else. And when the format is a little slower and a little more fair, I think that creates a condition for burn to really demonstrate its power level. And as you know, Dave said, kind of just be a pillar of the format. And I'm kind of trying to decide at this point, like whether or not that's where we want to be, where like we need to have plans against burn because there's always going to be a burn player and you know some decks are just horrible against burn i think it's the sort of thing where if burn really does become a pillar and it's not hated out and established itself certain decks have to adapt or die and that's fine that's normal right like we there's not a modern that exists where everyone can play whatever deck they want at a big scale and that's viable like lgs to big tournament there's a big difference but in general I think I enjoy a meta where Burn is a pillar. I think Burn's a great deck. Of course, yeah. One of the questions that I had going into this weekend were, are there any reasons to play Graveyard Hate? <laughs> and I think we came up with a couple really good reasons. Like, Dredge, obviously, is still a powerful strategy, and I think you need to have a plan against Dredge, either Anger the Gods or Rest in Peace or Leyline or whatever the Graveyard Hate of your flavor is. But also I realized that Rest in Peace and other, you know, static-based graveyard exiling effects are really good against Wurza at shutting down the Thopter combo. So if you're, you know, moving forward wondering whether or not to have any real estate in your sideboard devoted to Relic of Progenitus, Surgical, Leyline, Rest in Peace, there's a couple great reasons too. Yeah, I think I think just like we talked about a couple weeks ago or last week, you know, it's still a really powerful zone in modern. Getting stuff out of the graveyard is important and, you know, losing the most broken parts of that doesn't mean it's completely gone. And so you need that tool. I I I you know, I played a deck from a, a list that I got off a of 50 deck dump that had zero pieces of graveyard hate in in the sideboard across the across the whole 75 and i really kind of paid for that in at least one match where i was just kind of like well i don't have any rest in peace or anything so i guess i'm just dead yeah so did the bannon restricted announcement impact things in the way that you all expected i think one of the sentences one of the key sentences in ian duke's article was that they're trying to create more games to play out of the battlefield and less with the graveyard um, and maybe even slow things down. So in all of your experiences, were things slower or as fast or maybe even faster? This is what I expected in like a best case scenario, quite frankly, because I sort of had two expectations in my head and this is the one that I wanted to happen. And I do think that the graveyard is a little quote unquote depowered or not as used. I did see quite a few living index, which was absolutely wild to me. But that is still winning with the combat step. I don't know if that's what they mean by that. But <laughs> I didn't feel like 
I it was graveyard hater bust. I felt like there are a lot more interactive games and like Burn's not even a graveyard deck, right? So I feel like the, I don't know if the meta quote unquote slowed down. I don't really buy that as much. I think that a quick blood moon, a quick chalice is still the way to be and going fast is still the way to be. But I didn't feel like the graveyard decks that I faced were quote unquote degenerate or quote unquote broken in the way graveyard decks of yore have been. Yeah, I mean, I definitely felt like the meta has slowed down in, in my playing with a few exceptions. Um, I think there's still decks that are fast, but they weren't trying to kill me on turn three. It was more like a turn four kind of vibe, which is, is really good. But I do think that there's a weird, there's maybe a little bit of inkling from my experience online of something that's a little troublesome, which is Stoneforge Mystic Mirrors and just how kind of uninteresting the play pattern with that particular thing can be. And so I worry a little bit about the idea of Stoneford Mystic becoming like the premier mid-range enabler and pushing some decks that were more controlly or maybe more aggro all towards this sort of center where they're playing like a, all playing like a mid-range game plan and then it just becomes about well who can design the best mid-range deck. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think that uh, there were a couple, you know, playing online the last week has really felt like there's a lot of people who just want to play that type of game. And so there's a lot of that population out there right now. I, for one, love a world where a braid is a good, fair magic card. And I know that I'm biased toward mid range. That's a big part of why I like magic. But I think mid range modern is, in my opinion, a fine, okay place to be. Dave, one thing I want to ask you and all of you guys is. Do you think it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy right now where it's like the format feels slower because everyone thinks they can play slower decks? So it's just kind of like, you know, I, I can slow down. I don't need to have the very fastest gen deck. I can play, you know, a couple tireless trackers, you know, things like that. And that just sort of happens to be what people are doing this week. I really think you're onto something, Shane, because if everyone's slowing down, that creates a window of opportunity for a burn for Grixis Shadow. Even something like Titan Shift, which can sometimes win on turn four. And I think if people are trying to play slower mid-range games, turn two, Stoneforge, maybe like a turn three sword or batter skull, and then whatever else they have in their deck, I think that gives a lot of opportunity for people to just go over the top or around or, you know, in through the outdoor uh, that's a great Led Zeppelin album. Good work. Uh, I, I think it's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, but it's also at the same time like hard for me to forget that you know there is no way to be attacked by two uh arclight phoenixes and a monastery swift spear on turn three anymore and take like 16 damage or something like that it's not really happening anymore yeah. there's you know there's no way to get swung at by hogak on turn three anymore and mm -hmm. so I I think it's a little bit of both. Like I think people are stretching their legs. You know, it's like been a long car ride in the in the fast lane, and now we're all we're all taking our time a little bit. We're gonna stop off at the scenic overviews, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna do some mid range mirrors. But I I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah, I think when when Stan asked this question, did the BNR impact things in the way we expected? I think that it did for me because I think the concept of curating the card pool in modern is to really allow people to feel like a number of decks have a chance to win. And that can really feel suppressed when a deck like Hogak or, you know, Mono Red Phoenix or Arclight Phoenix feel so overtly aggressive. And in the case of Hogak, so overtly overpowered. And so in something like modern, you know, the, at least the previous modern, a game could be over on turn two before it's actually really over. And I think that's what Watsi 
really wants to eliminate in yeah. by curating the card pool. And so, you know, perhaps we are back to that turn four format instead of the turn, you know, three or three point five. And that's all it takes in something as speedy as modern to feel like it's quote unquote slower. Absolutely. I want to amend my earlier statement because I really feel like I can phrase it better now. So I do think the format has slowed down. I think what I meant in my or thinking in my head was there are aggro decks, of course. There's still go fast decks. But like Dave and Shane just said, it's not like on turn two you've realized, oh, this game's unwinnable for me now. Like I don't have an out here. Like I need to have three bolts and I I can't get three bolts right now. So I think that there are still aggro decks. There's still going to be decks that can win on turn three. That's more of a rarity than the, hey, looting, birds, what are you going to do? So yes, the format had slowed down, but there will still be fast decks. Yeah, hearing you all mention this, I think really reminds me how grateful I really am of the moment we're in now. Because even though I got on the faithless looting train, it sort of started to feel like this necessary evil you know, whether you're playing a Phoenix deck, whether you're playing Hogak, whether you're playing Wurza, like you have to create create these crazy board states by turn two or three that just no one could deal with. And we were all ships passing in the night on some level, with the exception of like maybe Jund and blue-white control players. But that then makes me wonder, how long do you think this is going to be the case? Are we in a new normal already? Or are we just talking about week one novelties? I think we have to throw in a Veldrain and then it, it all kind of disappears. But enjoy it while you can, folks. I think we didn't really see what the new normal is just now. But I think that one thing that I think is interesting is perhaps we're like at a standard like metagame. We're predicting the metagame matters even more. And you can't just bring the best deck. You have to bring maybe the best deck for the weekend or the best deck you know, uh, for that you know, given period of time. And I think there, you know, there probably is likely a best deck under the hood, but that's really something that takes a long time to determine and something that Wizards of the Coast actively discourages people discovering because it takes the fun out of it. So I think that right now it's somewhat of a novelty. If right now you're meeting, is Burn going to be you know, a huge player in the competitive metagame? I think that that's not likely to remain while people figure out, oh, I have to prepare for Burn a lot more than I thought I did. And I, but I think things will get sorted out and settle. Yeah, I mean, I I, th- I think that this is a, a good question. I do think that this isn't really, there wasn't really a lot of novelty this weekend in, in my mind. I mean, there were a few kind of spicy deck lists. There was things like Orzov Stoneblade that was interesting to see. Uh, Rakdos Midrange in kind of a similar kind of vibe. So, um, but I, th- I felt a lot like a lot of these results were kind of like the results from 12 months ago. It was kind of like we went to back to the old normal to before, like like Stan said, before KCI, before Free dive down. Phoenix, before the dive down, before Hogak. Before and, the dive and, down card was printed. Exactly. So we, we kind of, I feel a little bit like we repealed back to an old baseline. And now we're going to start evolution from there. And I think that the biggest part of that is going to be Modern Horizons. Dave, did you see my tweet earlier today where I retweeted someone's suicide blue list? And I was like, it's as if we've undone the last year of Modern entirely. And I think it's it's interesting. Like, yeah, just sort of Wurza as like the new KCI variant. It's sort of like the, the Cowboy right. artifact deck. So I, I think that we're going to start evolving again uh, and there's going to be cards that get powerful from Modern Horizons as a result of that. I think are going to be the things that really push us forward. I have l- somewhat low faith that 
I think Eldraine or maybe a couple of sets now might have a little bit less influence on modern than the last few did. Just a guess. And mostly because I think it's because they made a set for modern specifically. And so I'm wondering if they might take this opportunity to depower some of the cards in standard a touch here and there. We know that they design standard sets on a pendulum swing of powered to unpowered. Kamigawa, Theros, there have been times where they purposefully make sets less powerful. I'm going to interject with, oh gosh, I hope not, because we know the face walker's a red walker, and I really want to play it. Well, War of the Spark was so high power that I think that might provide some evidence to Dave's theory, too, that like they may need to swing the pendulum back a little bit. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm just saying I personally want more red playable walkers we know i can't wait to hear your to hear your sleeve heave believe on on whatever the red walker is for this set i need you to be kind to me sam what are you thinking you think this is kind of like the new normal or do you think that the new normal is yet to reveal itself i do have a feeling that people just are reverting back to where they were a year ago and i think if you had a deck that was getting you results before phoenix blew up i think that's actually a decent place to start moving forward and this last week was really hard for me because i had spent like the year playing faithless looting decks and i felt like i had to start over from ground zero and then i kind of realized like i just had all these old cards i got to play again i doubt that something new broken is going to become the new tier zero like in the very near future unless a super powerful new card gets printed and if this is where we're at if we're just at modern 2017 2018 again like that was kind of the modern i fell in love with once upon a time and i'm here for that do y'all think though that i think we saw a lot more being tested we saw a lot more kind of just on the outskirts of top eight you know top 16 i think we saw a lot of stuff that people are hyped about and i think we really would be missing a lot if we didn't talk about you know stuff further down the line and stuff that may be appearing in the next week or two so I know that you did some research, Shane, setting yourself up with an excellent segue there. <laughs> well, not just me. I mean, but I think what we should, you know, what, what we should talk about, right, is like what, what was the community reaction here, right? So, not just what people were playing and testing with, but how were you know people and you know Magic Twitter people, our friends, you know the the Slack, how were people feeling about you know what happened with the banned and unbanned announcement. So we've done this a few times where we've checked on the pulse of social media, especially the magic community. And what I love most is we always have two tweets and they're always the polar opposite opinions. So it's <laughs> always, this is destroying the format. It's over. And I love what this is done. Can't wait to play more. So we have that again for you all right now. Yeah. So we got Dylan Donegan, second place finisher at SCG Dallas who wrote on August 26th, which I think is the day of BNR, maybe the next day. No, it's the day of. Thanking Watsi for the best BNR announcement that he's ever experienced and has never felt as excited about MTGO in like a long time. Coupled with the same day, Ryan Overturf tweets. Commentator of SCG Dallas, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> Ryan tweeted, I just watched a friend play one and a half matches with Stoneforge and Modern, and I'm already over it. Sample sizes matter. <laughs> he might be tongue-in-cheek somewhat. Ryan's a very funny person. Yeah, no, there's a joke there, absolutely, yeah. yeah what, well, how else were you guys keeping your eye on things? Like, I watched a ton of streams this week. I have the I have the benefit of working at home. I can kind of just have streams out in the background, whether or not I'm watching. Uh, if you uh, work for my company, I definitely was not watching any of these actively. They're always in the background on mute. Um, you know, there's there's some articles out there. 
Uh, there's we got the first five zero deck dump list on the thirtieth. Uh, any what? How do you guys try to keep tabs on things that are changing this quickly? I played three leagues this week. Is how I did it. Yeah, and normally that's, that's I play size. yeah one league a week, but three oh four if you include my LGS. So hey, I'm out there grinding. Yeah, I, I went to the LGS this week, but it was the final le- uh, week before the BNR <laughs> took place in paper. Two, two days I, before, <laughs> and, I, and I didn't even I didn't even take out Dredge for one last hurrah. I was just like, I'm, I'm I need yeah. to move on. I need to move on. Yeah, I like to dip my toes in all, a lot of different pools. So I'm super active on Twitter. I was checking in on streamers throughout the week, just seeing what folks were doing with Stoneforge. Um, obviously, I love our Slack and love to see what the nation is talking about and people were all over the place mm-hmm. like some people are just still mad that play crafter or i'm sorry plague engineer is a card and some people are dusting off their stone forges someone was even lending me their stone forges shout out to joe thanks buddy again you can you can just name me you know the plague engineer hater okay you can just say shane doesn't like plague engineer oh it's not just <laughs> you I, I think it's also craig it's a lot There's of a people cacophony of voices yeah. Any anyone who plays tribal, anyone who plays tribal doesn't like me. Well, one of the first things I think we saw, even before the five zero deck dump, is I was like I said, I was watching streamers and I was looking at Twitter because that's actually what was informing a lot of streamers too. Is kind of like you know that you know the circle there is people tweeting either their ideas or something they five would with, and then a popular streamer might pick it up and stream with it for some further testing. People were very, very into modern streams this week. Like people who like had a max, they were saying like, oh man, my previous max was like 110 viewers and now I'm getting 275. And because people were just jumping on anyone playing Magic Online in modern because it was legal there. So I saw like Harry MTG, who is a co-host of the Birthing Podcast. They're a newer modern podcast. Feel free to check them out if you want to see who else is doing modern content. Um, he five would with a blue white mid range deck, uh, stone forge with some like kind of controlling disruptive elements. I saw, uh, the aforementioned Zan Syed, he was playing Ryan Overturf's, uh, green, white Eldrazi Stoneforge deck. Reed Duke was testing Obzon mid range with Stoneforge mystic, uh, Muhan Evart, who is aspiring spike on Twitch. And I've actually been liking watching his content recently. He's kind of been devoting himself to Twitch. So check aspiring spike out. He did a couple Stoneforge Mystic leagues and he 5-0'd like running days. He did a kind of he did a squadron hawk, ranger captain, force of virtue deck that he took to 5-0. Um, he did a Bant Snowblade deck the day after that he 5-0'd with. Um, those were cool to see. Also worth noting that I believe Saffron Olive uh, in yep. his private time 5-0'd <laughs> with multiple yeah. Snowblade lists as well. So yeah, hey. yeah. Kelvin Chu and Saffron Olive both did some Bant Snowblade variants. Um that's actually the the deck I've been playing, Bant <gasps> Stoneblade. Ooh, you didn't tell me. So Dylan Donegan was sitting in for uh, for Corey on Versus Live with Ross, and um, Dylan Donegan said, "I don't think we will see blue white decks that will be successful without Stoneforge." Full stop. No qualification there. Um, and Ross seemed to agree. So I'm curious if we'll see that be the ultimate future. But I thought it was a pretty strong statement. What were you guys looking at? Just Twitter mostly, watching people freak out and post their deck lists as they, as they were happening, which was cool to see. I mean, the 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 sheer number of different variants that we've seen with Stoneforge just kind of in there in this kind of mid-rangey, value-y, bant, 
Jeskai blue, blue, white kind of zone is really fascinating. And I'm curious how this is going to evolve as far as what becomes the best choice out of there. Cause I kind of feel like it's only going to be one or two decks ultimately, but yeah, we'll see. I, I, I tend to agree with you, but to throw us a giant curveball, everyone was waiting for this frantically F fiving uh, for the 830 deck dump, and in which there were 29 different decks featuring Stoneforge Mystic. And so I went back to the archives because I wanted to see what the difference was after they unbanned Jace, the Mind Sculptor, and Blood Raid Elf. There were eight decks with Jace after the unbanning, and six with Blood Raid Elf. And there were 29. Even after the third deck dump, Jace was in 18 of them, and Blood Braid Elf was up to nine. But there's just such a huge variety of decks running Stoneforge Mystic and winning. I think that's pretty reasonable. And I, if I recall correctly, a lot of people were saying it's going to be super inflated in the first few deck dumps at least. And as I mentioned earlier, the reason I don't think it's particularly surprising is because there isn't a ton of downside to running some Stoneforges and some swords if your deck can produce white. Like If your goal is to experiment with this new package putting it into a bunch of decks isn't hard whether or not it makes the deck better remains to be seen but i think testing the decks was actually like reasonably easy than a four mana double blue spell or a four mana red green spell absolutely and for blood red elf you have to change the mana curve of your deck because you don't want too many blanks off cascade and you want good targets for it etc so what once again when i made my scred deck into red green i had to retool my entire deck to try out this new fun card well, there are people who can just go, I'm going to cut these six cards and put this package in right now and let's go. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I don't want it to look like I'm saying that Stoneforge, Stoneforge is a better card than those two cards. But but is it? But but is it? <laughs> no, I'm just saying that we are seeing a wider variety of decks able to play it, of course, because like you said, Stan, it's a colorless and a white. A whole lot of decks can run something like this. And like you said, it doesn't necessarily strain every deck that wants to run that package and, you know it's not free but it's not necessarily the worst thing in the universe it's also a must answer threat like it, it it's a very good card let's let's make no mistake it does work i think there's a reason it was on the ban list for so long and i think there's a reason people were really excited to have it off the ban list so you guys said you were playing some uh magic online this week i was swamped and i left town on friday for the long weekend so you tell me what you were seeing and playing so I saw a ton of Titan decks. Um, so I played, like I said, I played three leagues online, and I saw four Titan decks over my leagues. It was just everywhere. And Blood Moon's good versus Titan, so hey, I won three of those. Awesome. But it wasn't through skill. It was through a Blood Moon they couldn't answer, which I guess is what what is what it is. But those decks are around a lot, and they are very, very good. That Field of the Dead card from M20 just gives them the second plan like Dave was talking about, and it's it's unreal. So either they... Valkut you out, or they make a bunch of zombies and hit you. Very powerful. I saw a Wurza. I saw Tron. I saw Shadow. I saw a bunch of Prowess. I didn't see anything too wild like we were talking about. I saw some decks more frequently than I did in the past, but I didn't see anything that really blew me away. Except for there was a Bant Historic Mill deck using Kethys, which in short is a three-color legendary. You can exile two Historic Permanents from your graveyard to cast Historic Permanents from your graveyard. It loots Mox Amber to trigger a card that um, Diligent Excavator, when you cast a historic spell, you mill someone too. So because there's zero, and this effect is until the end of the turn, you can just keep casting the zero cards from your graveyard, looping and creating a mill combo. But that was neat. 
I don't know if that is shining because of Faithless suiting or just it's doing well right now, but I saw it and it totally kicked my butt. Yeah, so I was sort of in a fugue state this week, just trying to figure out where I'm going to divert my, you know, precious time practicing modern into which deck because I was at a loss. And just to paint the picture a little bit, in the last week I played, thanks to ManaTraders.com, Bant, Soul Herder, Blue Moon, Grixis Shadow, Jeskai Sahili Cat with Stoneforge Mystic and Swords, and Mono Red Prowess. So I tried five different decks in the course of the week. Um, I also played the Sahili deck at an SCG IQ. Um, and over the course of the week, I saw a ton of Grixis Shadow. Like, I, I want to say I played against it three to five times easily. Um, I, I did see Mono Red Prowess. I saw a bunch of Soul Herder decks. Mono Bluetron. Also saw some Titan Shift. A lot of Jund. I think Jund is going to be like a force to be reckoned with pretty much forever moving forward just because of all the powerful tools it has and obviously no shortage of Wurza and uh hardened scales even like just people trying to do whatever they can to win as quickly as they can and if they have a want to take a little bit of time it seems like people have the freedom to do that too so i didn't get to play too much this week but like i said i was playing bantstone forge i basically i saw two kinds of decks i saw old decks that i've seen before and i saw stoneforge decks and weirdly i lost to all the old decks I lost to Tron, Dredge, Mono Red Prowess, and I won all the quote-unquote Stoneforge mirrors that I had against Blue-White Stoneforge and also Mono-White Eldrazi Stoneforge. Um, pretty interesting, but uh, re I'm really enjoying playing the uh, the Bant version of the deck, uh, especially loving Spell Queller and having uh, Ice Fang Quaddle, which uh, keep keep your eyes on. I think that card might be ready to have its day Uh now it already is, it's already is popping yeah it's popping up like 20 percent this week so yeah so i was wondering now that we've had this kind of like general meta commentary uh i was wondering if it might be worth just kind of going through de some decks that we that we've seen out there decks that used to be popular and kind of giving our thumbs up thumbs down on if we think that they still exist or not what do you guys think does that sound like a fun game <laughs> lightning round yeah lightning rounds and i'm i'm it. calling it on the battlefield in the graveyard or exiled so I just want people to... to this is just see, believe, and heave, isn't it? <laughs> Under a different name. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> so so let's start with the top of the list. Lightning round, right? So everybody, let's just go around, and if there's a quick thought, give it. All right. Uh, so the first deck I want to start with was Dredge. In the graveyard, absolutely, right? Yeah, graveyard, I think people don't realize what Faithless Looting does for the longevity of the deck but i think it's okay the i don't know what these terms mean for on the graveyard battlefield or exile. it means it means is it still good is it struggling or is it totally gone well i said a graveyard because dredge operates out of. i the know graveyard, you took it too so. literally <laughs> I was trying you to took it away too literally <laughs> okay i think dredge is on the battlefield in that scenario i do yeah. too i think dredge is almost as good as it's ever been i totally agree i think dredge is gonna be fine shane you're the dredge player are you are you getting tome scours and going for it I already said, I think looting, I think people don't appreciate what looting does. It lets you keep one land hands all the time. You get 80% to your second land. You're able to have a much better long game with two dredges off of the flashback. Um, I think it's much better than the replacements. Okay. That's an okay I don't one. think it's dead. That but okay. struggling. You think it's struggling. Yeah, I think it's not, I think it's not as good. Okay. Mono red prowess. Uh, Stan played with it. I played against it. I'm going to let Stan go first since he was an aficionado. I think it's in the graveyard. I played with it and against it. I was neither impressed 
on either side of the battlefield. I, I'm glad to see people still doing well with it, but I think it's going to be more of an LGS deck than a high-level competitive deck. Okay, Zach, have you you played against it a couple times? What did you think? Um, I My deck is kind of good versus it, so it's hard for me to say. I think it's good in that it had me at two or one a lot of the time before I was able to stabilize, but it's worth noting the cards from Light Up the Stage are in exile. Yeah, so I think it's still on the battlefield. I think someone's going to get there. I think it's a good deck. I lost to it through double core firewalker. Thanks to runaway steamkin and a couple of other things that went not my way. Uh, so I, I, I think it's going to be around still. How about uh storm, whether that's twiddle or gifts storm battlefield battlefield. Still good. Yeah. I think twiddle storm might even be better than gift storm. I also think it's that this deck is probably on the rise. Yeah. Shane. With the fall of humans, I think it's on the rise. <gasps> well, great. The next deck I wanted to ask people, everybody about was humans. I'm going to let Shane answer this first. I think at the LGS, it's in the graveyard. I think uh, competitively, it might be exiled. How and why? Ten words or less. Ooh. Uh, Jund is better. Tron is better. There's more variety in the metagame, which makes your 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 naming of things with meddling mage worse uh i think that uh, the package exists to be better but it's going to take some time yeah to quote gothmog at the battle of minas tirith the age of men is over next deck uh eldrazi tron people still think it's good after the the bannings yeah absolutely unquestionably battlefield i think it's on the battlefield with some tweaks i'm not sure chalice on one is quite as good as it used to be shane unsure (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's not an option <laughs> i'm gonna say on the battlefield because I, I think it's still game. good i hate this gd yeah, game the rules are unclear my my understanding is i could be silent if i know that yes say. well that's that's not how i've ever been taught to be that's how the show works those are house rules um i think the last deck i want to ask about is is it phoenix exiled yeah exiled you think so yeah the, the every, every every professional player i've seen is just like you know they're pouring one off for an old friend okay fair enough i think is it is gonna have a new deck i don't know if there's an is it fast aggro deck or if storm is just better or if blue moon is the way to go i i suspect that depending on what your play preferences are like you could probably choose one of the three of those and feel like you're still getting to cast your blue red spells deck but uh i think that phoenix is gone and so that idea of a deck that can switch plans really easily is probably also gone can i add a deck to our game yeah, absolutely. Spirits. I am here to say Thank that I you. think Spirits is back on the battlefield. Oh, yeah. Spirits is great. Spirits is a great home for Stoneforge yeah, in the exactly. package. I don't uh, Is it Bant Spirits or Blue White? Blue White. Blue White. Yeah. I think Unsettled Mariner is also a really great tool to have right now. So I will keep an eye on it. I think it's Graveyard, but... Well, I I do kind of want to piggyback on what Shane was saying with regard to humans, and I'm kind of remembering what happened where humans fell out of the meta and spirits started to tick back up, and I think we're going to start to see a little bit more of that where spirits is going to have a lot more viability in a meta with lots of interaction, mid-range, and control. I mean, it's better to put swords on flyers, I'll tell you that. Yes, especially flyers that have like innate ability to become hexproof or protection with giver of runes. Also, spell queller is just nuts right now. Oh yeah, my goodness! Very, very, very good. It ate a chalice on two the other day, and oh my goodness! 
Stan just can't wait to say, oh, well, that's well. I said that so um, many times uh, at the IQ. So many times. No one even chuckled. Uh, I'll, I'll respond. Yeah, because you're also spell quelling their spells. They're not going to be like, oh, that's a good one. Great joke, opponents. bro. You got a podcast you're on? Is it funny? It's not a comedy podcast, but it is funny. That's it's what not, I tell It's them. not a comedy podcast. I think the last question we could ask, though, guys, because we have to move on, I think, is where do we want to go from here? Like, what are you feeling right now? What decks do you want to be playing? Whether you think that they're going to win or not. I think Vizier combo is a deck to keep an eye on. I personally don't love the play style, but Giver of Runes is super good. And I think the deck with a quote unquote slow down or turn four meta really shines. I mean, I was seeing some decks that were running the Stoneforge package along with a, you know, the, a huge creature combo, you know, all sorts of utility creatures with innate protection with Giver of Runes and Shalai and stuff like that. And I am very hyped yeah, to play that absolutely. deck. I cannot wait to test that. To compound, I want to talk about the Karn and the Wishboard. I think having a deck with a really solid plan B, aka Stoneforge, aka Karn, something like that is really good modern right now. Uh, I have no idea what I want to do, but I feel pretty good about it, and I'm excited to try some <laughs> some decks. Um, I, You're taking a semester I, off, right? Yeah, exactly. I've been enjoying... Yeah, it's a, it's a Stoneforge sabbatical. Nice. Um, I've been enjoying playing the Bant deck. I'm probably going to mess around with it a little bit more, and then I'll probably look around to some other old favorites. I really want, in case people don't know, I really want Mono Red Prowess to still be good, and so I'll probably be trying that online to see if I can uh, still get some good results out of it. Um, I've been meaning to put in reps with Jund for a long time, and so now might be a good time to do that too. But um, I don't really have an agenda quite yet. I don't feel like I have to, you know. That's a good feeling. My agenda is just to play more counter spells. I have taken Archmage's Charm out of my storage and into my deck box. Um, basically thinking I'm going to move back and forth between Grixis Shadow and Blue Moon is kind of the decks I test at least this week, maybe moving forward. I'm not loving Lightning Bolt in the format right now. I'm not sure you have a ton of great targets, um, but that being said, if I can play a four Lightning Bolt deck, I will. Yeah, I'm really into the Stoneforge Mystic concepts right now. I want to try it in Spirits. I want to try that green-white Eldrazi deck. I want to try the Devoted Druid combo decks, like I mentioned. It's kind of depressing to me that Humans is apparently dried up right now because I literally finished it right before it you know, sort of fell off a cliff in the last results. But if Grixis Death Shadow is making a comeback, Humans is there to squish mm-hmm. it back down. So if that's what Modern can be, if Modern can be... You know, the no tier zero, the many tier one, you know, lots of good decks that sort of cycle in to beat each other up. That's a great place for Modern to be again. I agree. I think that's pretty cool. And I don't remember the last time we felt this way. Yeah. I mean, the the last thing I'll say as part of this is it, it is a drag that it's like another money hit yeah. going yep. on for a bunch of people here right now. Um, you know, I haven't, sure I haven't bought my Stoneforge Mystics. I don't know when I'm going to do that because I'm not going to play a paper tournament anytime too soon. So um, I'm going to sit back a little bit on that for now. Well, the only money pit isn't Stoneforge Mystic. I think you also pretty much, you either need to play Force of Negation or Teferi Time Cop or Karn. You know, there's so many expensive packages you really mm-hmm. need to and have access to right now. the $90 swords. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow, this ended up being a longer episode than we expected. Turns out when you get four best friends in a room, they have a lot to say to one another. Sometimes they even get into friendly arguments. And unfortunately, we're going to have to skip wind down again this week. But 
we're going to make every effort to have a wind down back in action next week. Maybe we can even address a couple questions. We just got to learn to be quiet once in a while. Never. I don't understand what that means. That wraps up this week's show. Let us know what you think about the new modern. If there are any must play decks we missed, what you're excited to test out, what you think the tier zero might be moving forward. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or pick our brain on something in modern, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you see us on Reddit, feel free to send us a message there as well. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down. Joining at any tier gets you access to our super secret Slack channel. We got a lot of great emojis on there. Some emojis that are not suitable for radio, but if you dig, you will find them. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and jam. Stoneforge Mystic! What are the names you put for these decks? Tempo Forge? I'm just making stuff up, man. It's, well, it's not, like, it's not these, very good these, to reach from, Shane. These, these decks don't have names. I don't know what to call it. I mean, so I can, you made I can, up I can, names? I so you this. made up entire archetypes? <laughs> what would you call it? It's a Just Guy Tempo deck with Stoneforge Mystic. No, I wouldn't call it Tempo Forge. I'd call it Just Guy Tempo featuring Stoneforge Mystic, so it helps me when I'm reading them. Shane, I love it. I could have I, I, I read this. I think we should call it Tempo Forge. <laughs> Tempo Forge.